morning. Just a quick announcement before I begin. Next Sunday, we're going to have a very special service. We're going to have some baptisms as well as communion. And it's also going to be a special commissioning service for Pastor Roger and Stephanie as they get ready to go to France to minister at an international church there. So please make sure to join us next Sunday for that special time. So sometimes when my family and I are at home, we can be enjoying nice moments of peace, but sometimes our oldest daughter will come up to us and just randomly yell for no reason. She'll come up to us and just not scream, but just yell. And it kind of disrupts that peace. And one day, I don't know if this is good parenting or not, so please don't judge me. But one day, I was with my daughter, and I was helping her with something, and all of a sudden she just looks up at me and, and yells, and it really startles me. So in order to try to help teach her how that can make people feel, I just yell at her. And I think she understood but it was also met with her hands over her ears, tears coming from down her face and saying, no, daddy, why, why? So I probably won't do that again. But it did help for a little bit until she started doing it yesterday. Um, now, that's just a silly little illustration about how peace can be easily disrupted. And, but in all seriousness, peace is something that we all want. We all want peace and security. It is something that we not only want today, but it's something that people have wanted throughout history. Peace, security, tranquility, assurance, we all want it. We all want peace in our personal lives, and we all want peace in the world. But peace is also fragile. It seems like we have moments of great peace, but then they're suddenly gone. Throughout history, there have been times of great peace, but it often feels like there have been more times of instability and chaos. One day is normal and fine, and then the next day we wake up to the news that Russia has invaded Ukraine. One day we are all getting along with our lives, and then we wake up to the news that Israel has been invaded. At Christmas time, we celebrate the message from the angels, peace on earth and goodwill towards men. But where is this peace? Will there ever be total peace? How can we live in peace when sometimes it feels, in the words of a song that came out years ago, we're all just one phone call away from our knees? As we look at Micah chapter 5 today, Peace is the main idea of the chapter, specifically that God will bring peace through a new king in the line of David that will shepherd his people into peace and security. So let's, let's read that together, the first few verses of Micah chapter 5. It says, Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. 
They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace when the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses. So back around Thanksgiving, Pastor Tom gave a message on Micah, and he went into a lot of great detail about the history and context and background of the book. So I'm not going to go into as much detail this morning. I encourage you to look up that message if you want to hear more about that, but I am going to say a few things as a reminder of the background to Micah. So Micah was a prophet who spoke on God's behalf around the same time as the prophet Isaiah. God's people at this time were divided into two kingdoms, and the Assyrian Empire was the big bad empire of the time. God's people were under constant threat of the Assyrian Empire. Now, in the book of Micah, his prophecies kind of followed a pattern of warning and judgment, and then some sections of hope and grace. God was going to judge his people because they have been rebelling from him and following after idols for years and years. And even worse, the kings and the leaders of God's people were also corrupt, and they did not rely and trust in God. Because of this rebellion, God was going to allow their enemies to come in and wreak havoc. But even though God would allow their enemies to do this for a time, it would not be forever. And as we come to Micah chapter 5, we see a glimpse of the hope that God promised to his people. One day, out of the little town of Bethlehem, a new king would be born in the line of David who would restore peace, security to Israel, and not only to Israel, but throughout the whole world. So king after king had failed Israel. They were longing for the golden days during the reign of King David, but they knew that they couldn't go backwards. And because Isaiah was prophesying around the same time, the people were already familiar with his prophecies of the coming Messiah. And around this time, <coughs> excuse me, people were also very familiar with psalms that are referred to as the royal psalms because it talks about God's anointed one coming as king over all and how his anointed one's reign will stretch across the whole earth. In these psalms, like Psalm 2, for example, God is depicted as the one who will one day make the whole earth his kingdom and vanquish all evil and injustice. And this is what God's people were looking for and hoping for in the context of Micah's prophecy. They were wanting peace and security that would last. They knew that God had promised them a king, but after so many failures from their kings, they were awaiting a new king in the line of David, hoping that the kingdom would be restored. They were hoping beyond hope that in the midst of all the chaos and threats around them, God's anointed one would one day come and bring everlasting peace to the earth. And Micah's prophecy points them towards that hope that one day there will be a king born out of Bethlehem in the, in the family line of David that will shepherd God's people into 
green pastures of peace and security. How exactly God was going to do that, or who exactly this anointed one was, they were a little unsure of. Many false saviors would arise over the years, but one day, God's Messiah would be born into the world. And at Christmas, this is what we celebrate, the fulfillment of Micah's prophecy. <coughs> Jesus was born into the town of Bethlehem from Mary, who was a virgin. And Jesus is the king who was to come from David's family line. Jesus is God's anointed one who will bring peace. Jesus coming into our world is the good news that the angels announce to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Jesus is the king and the shepherd that God's people were hoping for that would bring them peace and security. Zechariah recognized this um, right before Jesus was born. In Luke chapter 1, he sings in a song that Jesus is the one to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. But some of us may be thinking as we hear all this, but where is this peace? Some of us might think as we look at the world around us, it's hard to believe that there's going to be peace anytime soon. <clears throat> and some of us might even be thinking of our personal lives and all that we're going through and all that we're dealing with and all the chaos that's inside of us. And we might look around and we think peace is nowhere to be found. So does this mean that Jesus lied? Does it mean that if I don't feel peace, then I'm not one of his favored ones? And even if we look at the events surrounding the birth of Jesus, there was no peace. Shortly after Jesus was born, King Herod had all the boys to and under in Jerusalem killed. And Jesus even said later that he did not come to bring peace but a sword. So what does that mean? But then Jesus also said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. <coughs> Excuse me. So when Jesus said that he did not come to bring peace but a sword, he was not saying that he came to bring destruction and chaos. What he was saying then was that his coming and his ministry was going to cause division because it was opposed to the way of the world. And because it was so opposed to the way of the world, it was only natural that it would bring persecution. But Jesus did come to give us peace. And one day he will come again to bring everlasting peace when all things are made new. So I want to look at some different ways that Jesus does give us peace now. And then look at what that means for how we should live until the day when Jesus comes and God's peace will cover the entire earth. So. so Jesus did come to give us peace. <coughs> and the peace he gives is not like the world. In the world's eye, it promises things that might appear to give us peace, but actually do not. The peace that Jesus gives us is not peace that means the absence of all chaos. One day this will be true, but not yet. The kind of peace that Jesus gives us 
is a piece that acts like a steady, firm foundation that we can stand on when the waters around us are raging. <coughs> Excuse me. At the center of this kind of peace is the cross. The cross is where Jesus died, and it's the place where his peace can be found. So keeping that in mind, I'd like to look at three ways Jesus brings us peace when the cross is at the very center. <coughs> the first kind of peace Jesus gives us is personal peace. Again, this does not mean that our personal lives will be totally free of chaos once we put our trust in Jesus. But what I mean by personal peace is something more like a foundation we can stand on when it feels like our personal lives might be out of control. So how does Jesus bring us this kind of peace? How does the cross help us here? <coughs> we can find peace in Christ in our personal lives because the cross shows us something we need at the very foundation of who we are as humans made in the image of God. The absence of this, when this is missing from our lives, that's where everything went wrong to begin with. And the thing I'm talking about is the assurance that you are loved by God. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they stopped trusting in God's love for them. They began to doubt whether God really loved and cared about them. And at the cross, the assurance of God's love for us is restored. We cannot have any peace in any area of our lives unless we believe that we are really, genuinely loved by God. If we want peace in our personal lives and hearts, that is where it begins. <coughs> if you think of a child, those that have children or those that work with children, you know that the more they feel loved and accepted, the more that they will grow and flourish. And it's no different with us. Unless we know how deeply loved we are by God, we will not have peace. But the cross shows us how deeply loved we are by God, because while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Whenever our personal lives might feel out of control, the cross is the place where we can always come back to to find the assurance of God's love. Sometimes it might still be a struggle to believe it, but the assurance of God's love demonstrated through the cross can be a firm anchor and foundation we can stand on to help us have peace in turbulent times. The second kind of peace that Jesus brings us is peace with God. In Romans 5.1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So going back to Micah chapter 5, towards the end of the chapter, we read about God bringing his judgment and destroying all evil. It says this in the last few verses. <clears throat> in that day, declares the Lord, I will destroy your horses from among you and demolish your chariots. I will destroy the cities of your land and tear down all your strongholds. I will destroy your witchcraft and you will no longer cast spells. I will destroy your idols and your sacred stones from among you. You will no longer bow down to the work of your hands. I will uproot from, you, from among you your Asherah poles, and when I demolish your cities, I will take vengeance and anger and wrath on the nations that have not obeyed me. So God was going to bring judgment and condemnation for those who rebelled 
against him and would not come to him and trust him. In Jesus, when we come to him, we do not have to worry about judgment and condemnation because Jesus bore the weight of our sin and the sin of the world in his own body as he died upon the cross in our place as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. When we trust in Jesus, we find forgiveness and we have peace with God. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, as it says in Romans 8.1. Another place in the New Testament that affirms this truth is found in John 5.24. There Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. So in Jesus, we can have peace because we do not have to fear God being angry with us or condemning us because we stand justified before him because of what Jesus has done. When we are justified before God, we are declared to be in the right before him. We have peace with God and we stand in grace because he has dealt with our sin through Jesus. And the third kind of peace that Jesus gives us, with the cross at the center of it all, is peace with one another. During Jesus' time, you could basically divide the people into two groups, Jews and Gentiles. The Gentiles comprised everyone who was not Jewish. (coughs) These two groups did not get along very well. But the cross changed all that. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says this, For he himself is our peace, referring to Jesus, who has made the two groups, Jews and Gentiles, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. The peace that Jesus brings because of what he has done is a kind of peace that can bring together those who at one time were enemies and hated each other. The cross can bring peace where there was once enmity and strife. And one of the best examples in scripture is the story of Peter and Cornelius. (coughs) In Acts chapter 10, we find the story of Peter and Cornelius Cornelius was a Gentile, but he feared God. One day he had a vision from God telling him to send some men to the city of Joppa to bring back Simon Peter. And around the noon the following day, Peter in the the different city went up to the rooftop and he also had a vision from God. In this vision, a blanket with all kinds of unclean animals came down from heaven and God told Peter to kill and eat. And Peter said he would not touch anything that is unclean. And this happened three times. But God told him to not call anything impure that God has made clean. And so Peter, at that time, the men from, that were sent from Cornelius came to Peter's house, and Peter went with them the next day. <clears throat> and when he went to Cornelius' house, the Holy Spirit came, to all who were in the house listening to Peter's message about Jesus. And Peter knew that God's salvation was now for all people, 
not just for the Jewish people. Because of what Jesus had done, Peter and Cornelius, who normally, before this, would not even be allowed to enter the house of each other, Peter and Cornelius were brought together as friends and as family. And it can sure be messy at times, but the cross is powerful enough to bring peace between people where there was no peace before. So, Jesus can bring us personal peace with God, personal peace, peace with God, and peace between one another. And the cross is at the center of it all because without the cross, peace would not be possible. But there's one more element of peace that Jesus brings that I want to talk about that is important for us to understand too. <coughs> it's wonderful that the benefits of being in Christ include that we can have personal peace, we can have peace with God, and we can have peace with one another. But it's important for us also to remember that what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. He said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Jesus brings us peace, but we are also called to help bring peace to others as peacemakers. And there are three different ways I believe we can all seek to be peacemakers in our families and communities. And once again, the cross is at the center of them all. And in order to be peacemakers, we have to be willing to live lives that embody the cross and what Jesus did for us. So the first way that we are called to embody the cross, to be peacemakers, is that we have to learn how to forgive. We have to learn how to forgive when we have been wronged. And I want to make one thing clear as I talk about forgiveness, because I do think that sometimes forgiveness can be talked about in a manipulative and abusive way. But when we forgive someone, it does not mean that we automatically become best friends with that person. Or it does not mean that everything should just automatically be back to normal the way it was before. When you forgive someone, it doesn't even mean that you have to trust that same person at the same level that you did before. But what forgiveness does mean is that you no longer are holding something against someone for what they've done. You are no longer requiring them to pay in full the debt that they owe you. Forgiveness has to do with the releasing of a debt that is owed. And in this way, there is now a path forward to reconciliation, even though sometimes that path may take years to get to. This is why Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jesus has forgiven all of our debts, and we are to forgive others as Jesus has forgiven us. As it says in Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. When we know that we have been forgiven and how unworthy we are of that forgiveness, we will then be able to go forward to forgive others the debts that they owe to us. We are to embody the same kind of forgiveness that Jesus showed us when he died on the cross for us. So that's the first way that we can be peacemakers, is, is learning to forgive by no longer holding things against people when they have wronged us. The second way we are called to be peacemakers 
is to bear one another's burdens. In Galatians 6, 2, (coughs) Paul tells us to carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. When Jesus went to the cross, he bore our sins and burdens in himself. He took the full weight of our sin upon himself so that we could be free from the weight and the burden of our sin. And while we can never take away anybody else's sin, we are called to help bear the burdens that others carry the same way that Jesus did for us. Sometimes when people are in the midst of storms in their life, <coughs> excuse me, having some sort of anchor or something can bring stability and peace. When people come alongside others and help carry their burdens, we act as an anchor that can bring peace. The person who has been shouldering a heavy burden all by themselves because they're either too afraid or too ashamed to talk about it with others will feel a weight lifted when a trusted friend enters in to help carry their load. And there can be a little bit of peace. And then the third way that we are called to be peacemakers in the way of the cross is by dying to ourselves. Jesus told his disciples that whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross in following me. Dying to ourselves means denying ourselves. And denying ourselves means that we put the needs of others ahead of our own. It means parents must put the needs of their children ahead of their own. It means letting go of something that we want in order to help someone who is in need. It means sacrificing what we have in order to give to someone who doesn't have. It means slowing down when you're really busy to to pay attention to the person who wants to talk to you because that person matters to God. It means being patient with the struggles of others even if they struggle with the same thing for a long time, because this is what Jesus did for us. (coughs) A long time ago, when I was in high school, I began really struggling with doubt. And I would constantly call my youth pastor over and over again. Sometimes I call him probably five, seven times a day, because all of these questions were just filling my head that I didn't know what to do with. And I wish I could say that just lasted for like a week, but this lasted for like a year and a half, where I would constantly call my youth pastor. He'd let me come over to his house, and he spent so much time with me. He sacrificed his time to give to me, this little high school kid that was just struggling with a lot of doubts. But the time that he gave to me gave me peace, and it gave me peace to continue moving forward. And if he hadn't given me that gift of time, by denying himself, sacrificing his own life for me, I probably wouldn't be where I am today. And so if we want to help be a peacemaker, we have to learn to deny ourselves, die to ourselves, and give of ourselves for those that are in need. And as we die to ourselves and give of our time and attention to those in need, we help bring peace. So, To recap, God's people have always been looking for peace and security. 
Because of their rebellion and their idolatry, though, they have a history of being exiled and taken captive of foreign nations. But there will be grace and hope. And in Micah 5, we see God's promise to his people that one day he will bring a new king from the family of David out of Bethlehem, and this king will shepherd his people into peace and security. And we know that this king was Jesus, the Son of God. He came and he lived among us and he died on the cross and rose from the dead. (coughs) And because of this, we can have peace in our personal lives because we know that God loves us. We have peace with God because Jesus bore the judgment that should have been ours in our place. And we can have peace with one another because the cross makes it possible for for people to forgive and come together as a family, no matter how different they are. But we are also called to be peacemakers. And the way we do that is by embodying the cross in our lives. And the different ways that we can embody the cross in our lives is by learning to forgive, carrying each other's burdens, and learning to die to ourselves. And as we do that, we help bring peace and stability to others. As we seek to embody the work that Jesus did for us, we will become beacons of peace in a chaotic world that will point people to the day when Jesus will come again and bring complete peace. When he comes again, he will come as the victorious king who came from the line of David. This king will get rid of all sin and evil, and those who belong to him will be welcomed into his kingdom, where there will finally be everlasting peace and security. And as we close today, I'm going to do something a little bit different. We're all busy. As Danny mentioned earlier, we all just came off probably one of the busiest times of the year. And we're all wanting and needing peace. As we close today, before Danny and the worship team comes back up, I would like us just for one whole minute to just be silent. No music, no phones, just be silent. And you can close your eyes, you can pray, But I want us to just be silent, and as we're silent, I want you to think about, is there something God is trying to tell you? And if not, just listen to the silence. Because sometimes we can't have peace unless we learn to actually be silent so that we can hear. So for one minute, let's just have total silence and a time of reflection. And then Danny and the worship team will come back up.